0: welcome to another episode of the Traumedy hour my name is jonas barnes i'm your host today rocking it solo uh lauren is at work right now so she's not gonna be on today but it is just me and uh, my fantastic guest here today uh real quick per usual on this uh, i gotta tell you guys i'm not a doctor not a psychologist not a psychiatrist i have no degrees i did not go to college for any of the shit that we're going to talk about today this is just real people talking about real problems that we go through and uh, that's what we do here on the Traumedy Hour. We uh, we talk about the things that society tends to tell us not to talk about. So we wanna we wanna take the stigma off of those things and get those things out in the open. Have the talks about them. Make sure that people feel comfortable talking about the shit that makes us tick. That's what we do. Uh, my guest today is a fantastic filmmaker. Uh, I've had him over on our horror show, another goddamn horror podcast. We had him over on the show there before. And uh, we're here to have him here on the show to talk about a very different kind of horror. Uh, so I want to introduce Mark Cantu. How you doing?
1: Good, man. That was a great segue, by the way. That was awesome. <laughs> a different kind of horror. So whole different kind. Whole
0: different kind.
1: <laughs> that was awesome.
0: Yeah. How you doing, man?
1: Uh pretty good. Like I said, we, we actually just wrapped uh about three weeks in a row, three weekends in a row on, on Wolf Hollow, which is the, the new werewolf movie we're shooting so Wait. we're in a bit of a break yeah we're, we're in a bit of a break so like we're we've got like the next like 30 days off till we get back to it so it's a nice like bit of uh kind of recharge the batteries kind of sit back and just remember why you you want to do this in the first place before we yeah we're about to go into like two weeks straight of shooting so it's going to be pretty intense
0: oh shit where are you guys yeah. filming this at
1: so we're actually uh, just outside Pittsburgh right now. So we're probably about maybe 20, 30 minutes outside downtown Pittsburgh. Uh, some smaller suburbs like uh, North Versailles and uh, uh, McKeesport area. So that's that's where we're at right now.
0: Nice. So it's uh it's the summer on the East Coast. So it's I feel like taking breaks is especially necessary during the summer on the East Coast because we have it was so weird when I moved over here from like the Pacific Northwest. I yeah. moved here and I was like, why is it why does it feel like New Orleans over here? What is going on? <laughs> like, it's so wet. Like,
1: it's you know, wet it's so heat. Funny though, like we were we were on set the last like two because the first weekend was fine. It, it wasn't that bad. But the last two weekends specifically, we were because we were here in Pittsburgh. We were expecting. And again, you're absolutely right. I'm expecting it's June It's going to be fucking hot. It's going to be. And it was absolutely nice and cool in the middle of the evenings. We got guys in werewolf suits and we're like, oh, we've actually got jackets and sweaters on. So it's completely the opposite of what you would expect right now. Beautiful. But and again, knock on wood, hopefully it stays that way the rest of the shoot. But it it feels like nature's on our side for now. So
0: that's good. That's good. It's always weird when you see movies, especially like if you see movies that are filmed a lot outdoors, not on like stage sets and stuff like that. I've seen that, especially with horror films. There was a movie I saw that was called Body at Brighton Beach that was all filmed outside. And it had like a real bear in the movie that was like, you know, (laughs) I mean, it was, you know, fucking trained bear. It wasn't like they were just throwing a regular bear out there, but they were still dealing 100% with the elements. And when I heard them talk about it, they were like, yeah, we had a timeline for it. Then the weather came in and just fucked us up for like a month because they just had these yeah. rolling things that would come through, and it was like we can't get shots in this, we can't do you know certain things. It's too cold. It's too hard,
1: matches. Whatever. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So, uh, knock on wood for sure. We'll keep our fingers crossed that the uh, that the weather gods are with you for the I, film. I'm praying worked.
1: for it, brother. Yeah, absolutely. So, much. It.
0: so, for anybody that does not know who you are, uh, Mark, tell them a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do.
1: Uh, so I'm re- initially from. I was originally from San Antonio, Texas. Um, started out doing action movies back back in Texas, um, and kind of got a reputation for that before we moved here to Pittsburgh. Uh, so we moved up here in 2016, 2015, and um, decided to give horror uh, a crack because again, you're in the neck of the woods of some of the greats like Romero and. You 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 can feel it the moment you move into town. So, um, so I started to switch my 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 mindset over to making horror movies, and actually discovered that I'm really great with practical effects. Really great with with the making making kind of throwback movies to to what I grew up with, which is like hardcore practical effects, gore, laughs. Um, yep. So we actually just finished Ma- uh, Master Academy last year, which was a, a pretty good. Uh, recognized hit for us like i said it got a lot of awards and uh, a lot of attention it was um, fantastic for, by
0: the way it was still
1: looking for a distributor by the way but like we're, we're still like i said kind of knocking on some doors for that but it'll it'll get there and uh and we've had a really successful campaign for indiegogo for uh for wolf hollow which is our follow-up um and that's an 80 and not an 80s but it's a, a werewolf comedy and uh, like I said we're in the middle of shooting it. it takes place in modern day so there's no no throwback stuff but I'm still shooting it like an 80s movie like the Lost Boys and Monster Squad so okay, yeah. I still got my nods in there yeah yeah yeah
0: that's dope man uh Masker Academy really is great it's like if you're into especially like 80s throwback slashers like Masker Academy is awesome it's uh we were we were lucky to be able to see it and you know get a copy of it over um, at AGHP and it's great. You guys did a fantastic job on it. So I'm definitely looking forward to Wolf Hollow. It's you I know appreciate it. definitely, man. You know, werewolf movies, especially when it comes to horror, I like they're either really good or they're really bad. You know, <laughs> like there there's it's not much yeah. there's really not much gray area, but what I found is that like werewolf comedies are really good like in general they tend to be really yeah. fun like if you're looking at like wolf cop like it's fucking oh, ridiculous it's but it's so fun
1: talking about that last night yeah it's, so good. it's one of
0: those movies that's just like when you when you hear the title you're just like all right this movie's gonna be cheesy as shit but it's really fun
1: and you know it going in exactly like yeah you, everything's in the title you're like i know what i'm signing up for give it bring it on that, right that's right
0: <laughs> there was a there was a recent movie that came out um somebody who uh, that stars somebody else who is a big advocate for mental health uh Milana Vintrub she was in Werewolf
1: oh, yeah, yeah. yeah
0: yeah yeah which was a fantastic uh, werewolf
1: comedy I um, love that movie. comedy yeah it was, it was really fucking solid That was that's probably one of the better uh werewolf movies and I love the fact that like even if you didn't introduce the werewolf like you could have just stayed on her relationship with the the park ranger and like you could have just watched that whole movie and that would have been funny as shit yeah and
0: yeah. You're
1: like, yeah that could have sustained itself but then you also introduced oh yeah by the way there's a werewolf loose in the in the snowy village and you know yeah but it
0: was, was kind of like also that was funny too watching people react to seeing her in that movie because they're like oh fuck it's the AT&T girl
1: right <laughs> she's in this
0: you know like and it's yeah. so funny because she's done so much other shit aside from just the at&t girl but everybody yeah, knows
1: squirrel girl or something like that like for marvel
0: yeah yeah that's where i actually had first met her i was at comic-con and i was doing photography for the con and nice. i did i did photos for the interview uh session with her um with all the people in the marvel rising thing so it was her um, and uh, a handful of other people, and then also the people for the American Dad uh, panel. Awesome. Yeah, so it was That's it was really so cool. cool. Yeah, it was super cool. That's where I got to meet her, and then I had her headline um, our Tromedy Hour comedy show that we do. She headlined that and did like an extended set. She's also a stand-up, which I think a lot of people also don't realize. Um, no,
1: I didn't. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, yeah, fantastic stand-up comics, so yeah you were you were in very good company with werewolf horror comedies so uh <laughs> here's to the hoping here's the hoping so i I mean i've seen some of the i've seen some of the stuff that you posted online with just the practical effects and everything i saw the uh the body prosthetic that you posted like i'm digging oh, that
1: yeah, yeah super yeah, yeah, digging yeah. that yeah you know, we, it was so funny like we shot last week um because in massacre academy for those of people who haven't seen it there's a, a big slaughter scene, like uh, about maybe like at the end of the first act. And I remember we shot that over two days and we killed 19 people. Like and it was just like one after the other. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to top this. And then we wrote, I decided in my awesome genius move, I decided to write the opening scene for Wolf Hollow where we kill like 25, 30 people. Beautiful. And we wound up, we wound up shooting that in one day. So, like, we wow. cracked out, and again, that's makeup. That's turning around people getting killed left and right, and we did that all in about maybe five or six hours. So, it was it was intense, but it was so fucking worth it. It was amazing. That's amazing, dude.
0: I'm uh, like I said, I'm I'm looking forward to it, and I'm uh, absolutely digging watching the whole process of it being made. I'm such a film nerd when it comes to that stuff too.
1: Like yeah, you low, both,
0: man. yeah, <laughs> low budget horror films or like you know indie budget horror films have always been kind of like the ones that I always kind of gear towards. And, you know, I mean, obviously we're on a podcast now about mental health and stuff. And when you talk about like lower budget horror films, especially you can get into the ones that are like psychological horrors and everything where you utilize that small budget to, you know, to put it towards atmosphere and to put it towards like specific types of lighting and specific types of set pieces and stuff like that where you really dig into the mental stuff but then when you get into a movie like Wolf Hollow or a movie like you know Masquerade Academy where you're going for the gusto with the gore and everything like you know what you're doing so i've i've got my i've fingers got my crossed. fingers crossed yeah. you know <laughs> yeah definitely
1: yeah i mean some people assume that i know what i'm doing and i'm just like sometimes like i said i mean i think it's i think that part that speaks to part of the the mental health thing where it's like it's not that I know what I'm doing. It's just that I've obsessed over it for about the last like <laughs> 10 months and my OCD will not let it go. So I'm like, I've really overplanned everything guys. So like, I appreciate the fact that you think that I'm like really over prepared. And I'm like, it's the fact that I'm so neurotic about everything. When we get on set, I'm like, no, I know, I know what that scene looks like. I know what I mean.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that's good though. I yeah, mean, I, listen, I use
1: it to its advantage. So that's, that's how it works.
0: If there's any time that a mental health issue or a mental illness is going to um, aid you in your artistic process. I feel like
1: it's gonna be this.
0: Yeah. comedy and filmmaking are like the two, just because, yeah. especially if it's OCD, if it's OCD and you're meticulous about details and everything, that's a good thing. Like it really, that's, oh, yeah, you know,
1: it yeah. helps.
0: So, um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, obviously, is to, you know, talk to you about what you do and talk about, um, you know, your films and everything. But also, we are here definitely to talk about mental illness and stuff. And I know you are somebody who has been pretty open about struggles that you have had uh, over the years. And yep. uh, um, specifically, one of the ones that I haven't talked to anybody about on this show is that you had a pretty significant eating disorder uh, for quite a while, correct?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was that was probably... Um, I was bulimic for... Quite a while. I mean, it started probably 1998, and I finally kind of turned around and dealt with it probably about 2017. Oh, so, yeah. So, I mean, so it was within that time frame. I mean, you're talking close to 20 years. I mean, it's, it's – I'm I'm horrible at math, by the way. That's probably more than 20 years. I can't remember. But it, <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, you really stop and think about it, and it's like within that time frame, I – maybe kept down half of my meals and the rest of it was all binging and purging. And, you know, and so there's, yeah, there's a lot of definitely a lot of damage. Luckily, I, I, I was lucky enough where I didn't do any major permanent organ damage, um, sure. knock on wood, but you know, um, yeah, yeah. It, it is definitely a, a struggle for a long, long time.
0: Did you, did you fuck up your esophagus doing that? Cause I mean, that's, um, you know, 19, 20 I, years. I,
1: yeah, I, I feel like I did. Um, and every once in a while, I kind of feel like a little tickle in the back of my throat, like it feels a little scratchy. But like, to be honest with you, I don't have any like vocal problems. I don't have any, you know, any issues talking or anything like that. So um, like I said, I, I as much damage as I did to myself, I count myself extraordinarily lucky that like, I, I, I feel like that's the exception to the rule because nine times out of 10, people do d- permanent damage and they're fucked for life, you know? Right. Um, and, and I think it just took shaking me out of that to go, you know what? I, I don't need this in my life anymore. There's, there's better ways to treat my body. And, you know, um, I think it's, it comes down to just a lot of self-image and uh, getting rid of any sort of self-loathing that you have and, and feeling like you deserve that punishment. Because I think that's where a lot of it came from initially and then you just kind of you're in a habit of it for the rest of your life and you just continue to do it so
0: well yeah and i think that's when it comes to anything that you do that you cause physical damage to yourself because i mean i think a lot of people also may not realize that a lot of times with mental illness there is physical tolls to your body that it takes that may not be noticeable to the outside world right you know because obviously like i'm you know people that grew up in the 90s especially during like emo eras and stuff like that are very used to people doing self harm with like cutting and things like that and i think that also kind of got uh um kind of got a reputation of being like a very specific like emo kid type of thing which right. is not the case at all like it's just most of the time people that are doing that to themselves are doing it underneath clothing and stuff whereas when it was like a thing during the emo era quote-unquote like it was something that was very out in the open so there was like there was definitely a difference between those two things and when it comes to an eating disorder there's all sorts of things that it can cause you know so if you came out if you came out of it with you know physically unscathed as far as the organ damage and stuff you did you did very much get lucky on that
1: well i think more than likely and again like i said and remembering back into college because like i said I, i started about 98 and i was um At university, like I was actually in my dorms uh, by like 2000, something like that. Mm -hmm. I do remember at one point, and again, I think it may have been partially because of what I was doing, but then also just because I I probably got sick, but I did have at one point I had like my kidneys start to shut down, but like I said, luckily I was able to go to the hospital. So that may have been one of those days, like I said, within the first two or three years where something happened, but it wasn't enough to shake me out of it and go, you need to fucking stop like right now. And I just kept on going. And by that point in my life, like I was, I was running like three miles a day. I was playing basketball full court for like three hours at a time. So, I mean, I was down to maybe 125, 130 pounds. How tall Um, are you? And I'm 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 only five six five seven like I'm I'm, I'm a tiny guy. Um, that's so, I mean that's like, still
0: that's still low like as far as weight goes you know. Right,
1: but even then like even from my frame I'm not i I'm not a huge guy to begin. With. I'm not compact in any way shape or form. I'm pretty wiry. Right. Um. So even then like I I looked like I look back at pictures. I'm like God damn how the fuck did I get through anything? And you know it's just I, I count myself lucky that I got through as far as I did, but there was, there was definitely some, some rough, rough patches there for sure. Right. Well, you know, it's
0: uh, timeline wise. um, It's kind of interesting because your eating disorder timeline is almost parallel to my uh, cocaine and alcohol addiction uh, timeline. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because I got sober five years ago. So back in 2017, I got, yeah, I got, I got, I got sober. June, June 10th was my sobriety recovery date on that. So, uh, yeah, we're looking at about the same time wise, five years on, uh, you know, on the recovery aspect of it. Now that also is something to talk about. How has recovery from an eating disorder been like, how, how has the process of that gone?
1: Uh, I mean, it's, I still have my days where I'm just like, I look in the mirror and I'm like, I'm a fat kid. Like, I mean, I still fucking feel that to this very day. Um, but I think I've done a really good job of talking myself off the ledge, talking myself off the, uh, you don't deserve anybody. Look at how fat you are. Look at how gross you look. Um, and, and just realizing like I've got so many other things that are positives in my life. Sure. It's, it's at a point where I don't, I, I do feel like, and I think that's the major difference is that once I got into recovery, I was able to. Admit to myself that I was actually – I was worthy of actually being loved and cared about because that was the huge thing driving me for a long time is that like I didn't deserve love. I didn't need to – like I didn't – there was nobody that was going to be able to do that to me or for me. Right. And once I accepted that, I actually – it was nice to make peace with myself first because that that's what has to happen. Like you have to – whatever demons are fucking with you and, and driving you, you have to make – With those first before you can do anything external. And at least for me, that's the way it was. And so when I came to that realization, I was like, you know what? I am worthy of of, you know of, of love and care and affection. The moment that happened, it made those conversations a lot easier, looking in the mirror and going, Yeah, I may feel fat, but this is a temporary situation and it's okay. And who cares if I gain five pounds today? I will work it off eventually in the next two or three weeks, and that's fine. And getting to that point and having that conversation internally made all the difference in the world. And like I said, so even today, like I said, I'll still struggle every once in a while. Like if I've eaten too much and like my pants are just a little too tight, I'm just I sit there for a couple hours and I'm miserable and I'm like, ugh, I'm just so fat. Yeah. Even though I'm not, I know I'm not, but again, I'm also getting older. And it's one of those things where I just go, you know what? My body's changing and that's okay too. Like as long as I'm healthy, that's that's all that matters, you know?
0: Yeah. Did you go through um, like a structured therapy program for this or was this something that was like mainly, um, mainly, mainly white knuckling it?
1: It was white knuckling to be honest with you. Like I said, I, I tried therapy for a while. Um, so pretty much, like I said, I I, I pretty much hit rock bottom um, in 2017. And like I said, there, there was a night where I just like I, I lost it. Lost everything, and I was just like, you know what, I can't fucking do this. There's got to be a better way, um, and I admitted as much to my wife. I, I talked to her, and like said, and I, I was tired of kind of having our kids see that. Right. So I started to go through therapy at that point, and it felt okay, but it was a point where I, I've always been kind of self sufficient anyway. So everything we were talking about in therapy, I would go home and i would think about constantly because i was i was working downtown pittsburgh so i would have like an hour commute anyway every day back to and from and so i would basically spend an hour in the car by myself really just thinking about my own thoughts kind of questioning why i did certain things and what so it was partially the therapy was great for me but the self-analysis on my own was even better sure and so that helped me get over the hurdle even faster because I, I had to admit stuff to myself. And, and for a long time, the biggest fear that I had for a long time and, and that's what drove me for a long time was I was afraid of being alone. Like that was, that was it. That was rock bottom at, at the end of everything. That was the hugest fear. That was the biggest fear. And it was one of those things where once I realized like, okay, my wife might leave me, my kids might leave me. I'm gonna be left by myself, regardless. Like it's a, that self fulfilling prophecy, and it's just like, okay, then I have to fucking make peace with myself because if they do leave, I'm all I got left. Right. And it was literally those hours in the car by myself where I was like, well, what are you afraid of? Why are you this way? Why are you that way? And having those conversations just by myself, just internally, made all the difference in the world. I, I made peace with a ton of stuff, and so it felt like it was a it was a nice mixture of the intro of therapy but then i wound up doing all the, the a lot of the leg work on my own and and like i said and it, and it helped tremendously so uh, it was i i don't recommend it that way but you know right. it, it worked for me so
0: well and the reason i brought that up is because obviously when it comes to recovery especially not only just with eating disorders but just recovery in general from whether it be a mental health thing or an addiction thing or whatever the case may be obviously everybody has their own thing that works for them you know and all those things and there's sometimes when people do a little bit of this a little bit of that it's like it's finding the right thing that works for your specific situation yeah. and the other thing I think I do kind of want to ask this because I think I think people may not realize the side effects of what goes into something like bulimia because when you think of what bulimia is the outward presentation of what it is is you have a bad self image you think that you're fat so you throw up your food and voila that's where it is like that just that's the that's the outward perspective of what it is
1: right
0: but with but the thing that i think people don't realize is how it affects the rest of your life so, like, what are the things that came along with that, like, as far as mental illness stuff? Was this, like, a thing that, was it depression? Was it anger? Like, was it, what were the things that affected, like, the family life when you were going through these things that made it such a big fear?
1: Uh, to, to be honest, I mean, like, for me, and again, I, I can only speak for myself, when I started to go through it, it was a form of, of control, that I'd never had of myself. And, and again, I was a fat kid. So like the fact that I could control how my body was perceived, it was amazing to me. And I was like, Oh, I can, I can make myself thinner and make people like me even more and make people appreciate me even more in a way that I've never had before. And so then that's kind of where it stayed for a few years. Like it was, it was one of those things where, I would do it, but then I wouldn't do it all the time, but then I would still, like, it, it found its way into my life uh, off and on, but then once my once my dad died, because my I, I lost my dad uh, in 03, and then I lost my mom about a year and a half later in 05, once that happened, it was like... Uh, it was, it was kind of like somebody took the training wheels off and they're like, go as fast as you want to go now Sure. and like destroy yourself as much as possible. And it, and it felt like it became, now I just want to destroy me now. I just, because I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to, and it was a lot of self-hate. Um, and it was, well, no one's around to stop me anymore, so I can do it. And so then at that point, then you started to top you started to kind of pour on alcohol on top of that. And now I'm kind of swinging from being really drained of nutrients and really not able to think straight to going the other exact opposite direction where I feel fucking amazing because I'm drinking all the time. (laughs) Right. And so like you're going between these massive extremes and my wife and kids had to see that. And I, in the beginning of my relationship with my wife, I, I felt like I was pretty okay with, controlling that and not letting it leak out and kind of you know um not letting myself fly off the handle too much but then just enough and then eventually like i said once once my wife and her kids moved in and our boys moved in uh to our house and then we got pregnant and then we got engaged and it was once we got to that point in my life it was just nonstop like absolute highs lows extremes and my wife had to see all this my kids had to endure all of it and it was, it was ugly. It was really ugly for a long time. Um, and it was, again, it was the, the more I did it, the more I hated myself. And the more I hated myself, the more I did it. Sure. And the more I drank to make it go away. And the more I felt like I was awesome when I drank. So I let's just do that more. <laughs> for sure. And the more you drink, then the more fucking like, depressed you become. And it's just it, it's just this huge downward spiral. So by the time we got up, here to Pennsylvania in twenty end of twenty sixteen into twenty seventeen, that was rock bottom, and it was some of the ugliest phases of my life that I've ever been in. Um, I was depressed. I was drunk. I was throwing up every single day. Um, I was doing like either a bottle and a half of red wine every every other day, or I was doing like three fifths of a bottle of rum by myself till four o'clock in the morning Fuck. and like it was it was it was and and again that was also every other day and I would still wake up and go to work at 6 30 7 o'clock in the morning you know and so it was it was absolutely a vicious cycle and then I, I just got to a point where I was like I can't fucking sustain this anymore like I'm gonna die if I if I continue this so
0: yeah you know it's interesting too when you talk about addiction i talked to a musician uh mishka shubali he's um he's a great musician he's an advocate for addiction and recovery and stuff like that and he we were talking about the the mysterious rock bottom you know that that people talk about and it is interesting because the rock bottom for somebody can vary wildly some people it's you know some people it's this big catastrophic thing that happened and then some people it's a realization of oh fuck i'm gonna lose everything and then sometimes it literally is just waking up one morning and having that reflection just for that little moment of clarity where you have the reflection of what you've done you know like to your life and to your body and everything like that where it's just like i can't fucking do this anymore um And, like, I think the whole aspect of a rock bottom, Mishka brought this up, that it's very romanticized. That, like, you have to hit your rock bottom. It's (laughs) got to be this fucking crazy thing, you know. Like, they expect that you have to have, like, your family walk in on you with a shotgun in your mouth or something like that. It's like, that's not the fucking reality of it. Like, everybody's rock bottom is different, you know. Yeah, not at all. Mine was, my rock bottom was that I did too much coke one night. (laughs) I did way too much. Uh, And by the time I went home, I couldn't close my mouth. My jaw was so tense that I couldn't close my mouth. So I had to come down. And the only thing that I could do to come down to take, you know, to get that to stop was take what I had at the house, which was Xanax. And then the next morning I woke up and the combination of the Xanax and the cocaine made my brain go mm, you don't want to be here anymore like it wasn't it literally yeah. was not like it wasn't like i'm sad and i want to kill myself it was literally a chemical reaction that was like you don't want to be awake anymore so you should go to sleep forever and then i tried right. and i failed but you know like it was still like my rock bottom was very anticlimactic in that sense it was like no i just did two eight balls of shitty lower east side cocaine and it just made my fucking mouth not close so it was just like right all right that's what does it you know yeah
1: yeah and even even my rock bottom and like i had we were we had a party here at the house and it's just one of those things where i I felt like i was way too intense and way too over the top for everybody and like i I was just like look at how much fun i'm fucking having like it was it was a lot and yeah the the booze confidence Oh yeah, completely. And I, and, and I was, if nothing, I was extraordinarily confident even more so when I was drunk and I was just like, I'm amazing. I am. So listen to how much fun everybody has around me. And I was like, no, you're a dick. You need to fucking stop this. And I wound up at one point, um, I was arguing with my wife and like, I'm not ashamed to say it. Like I've, I've told everybody like we, it, it got physical And from my part, right, and it got physical and she went up and she was like, and and it was for me, even in that drunken state, being that fucked up, being that like intense about it, what happened for me, like my rock bottom was, it wasn't this self-realization until I saw her there was this certain look that she gave me. And even in this, like even in this drunken state, like I remember what her face looked like. Sure. And she gave me this look like, fuck this. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And it was this, like she'd give like she had given me certain looks like that before, but nothing to that degree. Right. And even in that drunken state, like way in the back of my fucking head, I heard the voice go, you're in trouble. And you're going (laughs) to fucking lose everything. You better cut the shit out now. And she went up to bed and it was one of those moments where I was just like, I can't do this anymore. And I apologize. And I, and I tried to like fix it immediately, but I was like, but the, the, the look of, I don't give a fuck anymore about you. That's what woke me up. Not the booze, not the, it, it was that fucking look. And I had to literally turn around and just go, I'm going to lose everything. I, she's going to walk away. She's going to fucking leave me here. And she has every right to. There's, there's yeah. no fucking reason for it. to stay. And so it was one of those things where I just went, you know what? I, I can't do this anymore. I've, I've got to fucking, I've got to grow up. And it it took me going to work the next day, hungover, depressed, crying in the fucking break room where I was working at the time. And just going, I, I got to change. I, I got to, and, and and still trying to power through a fucking work day like that. Yeah. And then just coming home and just going, I, I have to get better. I, I have to do something about this because I don't want to lose you. And so then eventually it just got better after that. And and still seeing that look on her face for the next like five months where she's like, I don't fucking believe you. Yeah, I don't yeah. fucking believe what comes out of your mouth. Yeah. And I was like, I promise I'm I'm doing the work and I love you. <laughs> and I'm, this is going to change. And just being reminded of that look every day is, is what did it for me. So,
0: yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of interesting to think about that, too. Just that one look, that one look is the thing that changed it, that flipped that switch, which is good because that means that, you know, even in the drunken state that you were, you recognized what you could lose in that, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, like just yeah. quickly, like just like, a snap he- of a finger hands
1: down like Besides, I mean, obviously, my parents were, were important people in my life. My daughter and my, my boys are, are absolutely important. But my wife, Liz, is, is the most important person in my life, like hands down. Like there's if she was gone tomorrow, I don't know what the fuck I would do. Like I would I would legitimately fucking like I'd probably go crazy. But it's one of those things where I had pushed and pushed and pushed and, and pushed those limits and boundaries so much up to that point. And she had taken it and she was like, okay, fine. This is how you are. And this is what's going to, this is what our lives are going to be like. And I just kept pushing. And I was like, and I got to the point where she just went, fuck this. I'm done. And to see that look on her face, I, it was something that I had never felt. It was a shame that I had never felt before. And again, you're right. Even in that drunken state, I've, I've, luckily I've never been a blackout drunk. I, everything that I've ever done when I'm drunk, I've remembered everything. Oh, you've never and, time you've never time traveled, Mark? <laughs> oh, never. No. And I'm like, <laughs> how the fuck did I get here? <laughs>
0: but,
1: yeah, and, and it's one of those things where it's it's such an odd thing where like I can recall almost everything that I've done when I'm drunk. And to see that look on her face, like I said, it's one of those things that even to this day, like it just it stays with me. Is that that was the sharpest thing that could have ever occurred when i was drunk and like i said and it shook me that hard to just kind of wake me up out of it and just go you need to fucking stop or you're gonna you're gonna lose everybody and you're gonna lose her so yeah
0: you know i like i have the one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you about the eating disorder thing because this is a this little swerve i didn't mention this to you before but one of the reasons that i wanted to talk to you about it is because i also had an eating disorder for a while and here's the thing though i'm a fat dude like I straight up am a fat dude like I'm not (laughs) there's no I have never not been a fat dude like I came out of my mom over 11 pounds and then I just got fatter yeah dude Jeez, dude yeah Yeah, I uh in the in the most literal sense possible I blew my mom's back out (laughs) Like she fucking has had she's had six back surgeries and I'm pretty sure that I was responsible for the first one Um, right but the thing about it is that So here's the thing that happened with me. I had the eating disorder that happened because it became compulsive because I found myself gaining more weight than I was comfortable with gaining. But it was also during the time that I was addicted to shit, too. So it was kind of a cause and effect type of thing. Yeah. Here's the reason that I stopped. And this is why this is where I'm going to present a question to you after. But the reason that I stopped doing it is because when I throw up. It is an event. Like it is not. like <laughs> I cannot not dainty and pretty. Yeah. No, I cannot puke quietly. I cannot puke nicely. Like there's no, there's no sneak off around the corner and puke away from company situation for me. Like that does not happen. Like it is not a thing for me. <clears throat> I, th- I think we're frozen. There we are oh there we go yeah i was like i think i lost money (laughs) yep we we went a little we went can you
1: hear
0: me yeah i can hear you it just sounded a little broken up okay good 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 i don't give a shit about that we'll keep it in the episode i don't give a fuck um (laughs)
1: that's all right
0: no it's fine um we we do it scars and all um But, yeah, that was the thing with me is that, like, I don't have I never had the way that I could not hide throwing up from people like I just couldn't. do it. So I eventually had to stop that shit. But like, how do you go like, how do you operate just in life without people recognizing that you're sneaking off to throw up or that you're that you're doing this constantly?
1: Uh, I mean, that that was always my my trick back then it was, you know, oh, I've got to go take a pee or I've got to, you know, I got to go make a phone call or something like that. I would always find a reason to dismiss myself. And like said, and it got to the point where I, I could hold off for a while. Um, so it wasn't just like, cause most people that I knew that did that, they eat and then they'd run to the bathroom real quick. Um, and I had an ex-girlfriend who who was like that. And so I watched that and I remember thinking if I ever do that, I'm not going to get caught. And, um, there was a couple of times where, where, where I was probably a little louder than expected and and, probably made people question things, but for the most part, I would always try to find a reason to kind of leave the room for just a second or check my phone or do, do something. Um, I think we froze again. So
0: just so everybody knows, we are frozen at the moment. He's going to be coming back.
1: You got me, I'm there right you, here.
0: There we you go. got it? Yep. All right.
1: So where did we leave off? Uh, you... So
0: the last thing you said was that uh, sometimes you were a little bit loud and it uh, might have raised some eyebrows. Yeah. And then, okay. but But it didn't happen too often
1: yeah so like i said i was i was pretty secretive about it but i would always find ways to kind of like sneak off and go to the bathroom kind of dismiss myself to to go smoke a cigarette if i was with friends and things like that so or i'm gonna go order a drink at the bar i'll be right back and then kind of pop to the bathroom and then come back with drinks and stuff like that so right. I, I would find little ways to do it so
0: so the thing is also with needing disorders that when you mix alcoholism with it, like the thing you were talking about earlier, you wouldn't have any food in your system and then you would have this alcohol in your system that would make you feel like fucking untouchable, you know, it'd make you feel awesome yeah. and everything. But also you had to get drunk much quicker, right?
1: Uh, it, initially, yes. So like when I was maybe in my late 20s, early 30s, it would take me like a drink or two to get drunk almost immediately. And, and it would hit me fast, but then as I would drink more, obviously my tolerance raised. So like I said, so by the, by the end of, you know, everything I was, like I said, doing a bottle and a half of red and like the first three glasses I would never feel, I would, I I would feel fine for, for most of that. And then all of a sudden it would hit me out of, out of fucking nowhere. yeah. Yeah. And, and again, in between glasses of wine, I'm still throwing up. I'm still doing all that. So like I said, so I'm emptying my stomach as I'm drinking more. And like, and it was just this huge, vicious cycle. And again, that's all happening within like three or four hours. And so, and it's every other night. So your body's getting used to it and your body's trying to catch up. And it, it was fucking, it was vicious, man. Yeah. Just
0: physiologically. I would think that like your stomach, you do, like with the, with the throwing up and with the alcoholism, your stomach lining had to be dog shit. Like it could not have been good.
1: I'm surprised I don't fucking have ulcers at this point, to be honest with you. So,
0: right. So that's what I would, that's why I would think that you would have been getting like, and the fact that you weren't a blackout drunk either on top of that, are you sure you're
1: not an X-Man? Are you sure that's not like... <laughs> I, I think that's part of it. Yeah, I think that's a, there's some sort of mutated gene in me. But yeah, I, I don't ju- want to push it anymore, though.
0: Right, right. Just your stomach lining is colossus. Just that. that <laughs> right, that's and that's it
1: literally it. Yeah, everything <laughs> else is just fucking dog shit, so... Yeah, so
0: you've been... Now you've been five years clean. Now, is that with the alcoholism and stuff, too, with the, with the alcohol addiction? Did you go clean with that when you went clean, when you stopped... With the eating disorder, or was that a more recent thing?
1: So yeah, so, so pretty much once I I kind of had that night uh, that I was talking about, I stopped everything at, at that point, and I didn't touch a drink for maybe like close to like it was really close to a fucking year that I did I just went without a drink, and the only thing that allowed me to kind of get back into to to alcohol again at this point was I realized the only reason I was drinking and the only reason I was doing that was because I fucking hated myself. Sure. And I felt like I I love myself now. I feel like I can manage myself. So let me see if this is okay. And I think the first time I had like one glass of wine and and that was it. And I was like, okay, I, I feel like I'm all right. And I, I I don't feel like shit the next day. I don't feel but again it was also a point where i was like you know what i don't want to do this every day but i think i'm okay at this point where i can have a drink here a drink there and i think what helped is i addressed the underlying issue and and i i took care of that and the self-hate because that's what drove my drinking forever but now at this point i can i can have a couple of drinks and 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 sit comfortably without overdoing it sure. um and so, so that's, I think that's the nice part about recovery is that like, I know sometimes I can still kind of maybe feel like I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm getting to that line. I need to fucking back off. Um, but there's still enough self-awareness where I'm like, it's not, the drink doesn't drive me. I'm not trying to plan my day around, okay, I'm going to drink tonight and then I'm going to not drink tomorrow. And then I'm going to drink again a lot that day. And then I'm going right. to, that's all I ever did when I was, when I was in the middle of that. Um, and now I'm just like, if we go out somewhere, I'm like. I'll maybe have a glass of red you know and then not drink for another week and a half and you know and so it's it's little things here and there and I'll I'll try to just use it as a celebratory thing and that's pretty much it so um so it's a lot more responsible drinking now at this point than anything else so it's more social so
0: that's good. I mean, you know, the funny thing is, like, again, when you talk about recovery and you talk about sobriety and stuff like that, there's a lot of people that are very um, gung ho about like 100% sobriety, 100% recovery, yeah. etc. And I by no means am telling people not to be that way. But I am telling people at least understand your own personal experience and your own personal relationship with, you know, whatever substance yeah. it is that you're on. Because, yeah. you know, yours it sounds like the majority of the negative parts of your drinking and stuff came along hand in hand with your eating disorder. And, you know, I feel like if you're, if you're able to responsibly, um, you know, consume alcohol, you know, in social gatherings or whatever, I don't, I don't see a problem with that at all. And I've, I've also been kind of the type of person that always says, if your reason for consuming alcohol is for a negative reason, like if you're doing it to stop a bad feeling or if you're doing it to yeah. take the edge off of something shitty or if you're doing it like if you if you have a bad day at work and the first thing that you're thinking is I can't wait to get home and have a drink. That's that's where you're leading to problems as opposed right. to a celebratory thing or like, you know, I'm hanging out with friends. I'm going to have a drink like that type of thing. There's always that reasoning behind it that kind of is the thing that fuels it. And yeah. I think, unfortunately, I think a lot of times people end up trying to work on the actual substance itself and not the reason why they're consuming the substance, you know? So it's like that what versus why scenario. And it's like, if you work on just the what, you're never going to touch the why. And the why is usually what the most important part is.
1: It's more, yeah, for me personally, and I agree with that completely, is that like I had to address the underlying issue for it. And once I did that, it lost all control for me. It lost all control over me at that point. So the the drink wasn't the power over me or anything like that. It was the fact that I was fucking damaged and, and I had to deal with that shit. And so I was no longer drinking to kill all that crap inside me. I was drinking to... Be social, have a good time. I enjoyed the taste of it, and that was about it. And so, to me, once I was able to to get to that point, I can manage that. I can I can sit there and go, yeah, no, I'm I'm done after half a glass of, of red. Um, and there have been other nights where you know my wife has said, you know, yeah, go ahead and order a drink. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I, I don't need one. So um, I don't need one to have a good time. You know. in in this particular situation so so it's just a matter of like I said for me personally and you're absolutely right like for me it was I had to address what was driving it and once I did that and you know didn't want to kill myself didn't want to destroy everything that I fucking created and (laughs) realized that I love myself it was it was much easier to navigate all that without that without that baggage yeah
0: yeah well, congratulations on that, man. I mean, it's a, uh, you know, alcoholism it's a tough and road. fucking yeah. Yeah, I mean, any of those things that affect us like that, those are hard things to get over and you know, it's statistically um surviving it were the lucky ones, you know. Yeah, it's uh it's not something that a lot of people get to come out of the other end. And there's lots of ways that I think also the one of the reasons that I wanted to do this show obviously is to bring more of it to light to take off the stigma of it and everything like that, but also kind of to show people that there is different roads to navigate these whole things. It doesn't have to be one specific road. Like I've talked about with alcoholism when it comes to AA and stuff like that. Like I did that in the beginning. I don't do it anymore, but I do use it when I need it. You know, like I use it. Like if I happen to have a shitty day and I feel like that thing creeping up behind me, where it's like, you could just fucking, you could get rid of all these feelings. If you just had a drink, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go to a fucking meeting, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Then I'm going to
0: go to a meeting, but I, it's not a thing that I need to do anymore. Whereas in the beginning, it was definitely helpful. And also when it comes to just, again, also the self recognition of understanding what your problem is and going to different forms of therapy, you know, and things like that with, with you right now, with where you're at, your recovery from your eating disorder, is it something that you still work on as far as like therapeutic stuff goes, or is it something that you just do like, uh, you know, self, uh, self help type of thing?
1: Uh, for me personally, and again, it's what works for me is is there's a lot of just self help and just kind of trying to, I think for me, I excel immensely when I'm left alone and, and I'm able to, turn my brain off and just listen to myself. And one of the things that, that helped me um, through everything, because like you're talking about, like when you feel that thing kind of fucking creeping up behind you and you you can feel the voice kind of trying to negotiate with you, like, we'll just have one and it's fine. Right, right, yeah. It's one of those things where, and it was, it was the best way that I could describe it to anybody because I had a lot of people ask, you know, how did you kind of navigate this? How do you fucking get through feeling the depression, feeling the anxiety, feeling, you know, all that crap is whenever I was drinking, I would kind of feel helpless where I'm like, Oh, I'm depressed. So I got to let that drive now. And I would, I would just let it take over and it would just drive every action after that. What I do now is I sit there and when I'm able to quiet my mind and I'm able to just shut the fuck up for 10 minutes, I'm able to to turn inward and just go, okay, I'm going to acknowledge the pain. I'm going to acknowledge the depression. I'm not going to let it drive, but I'm going to put it in the passenger seat with me. And so even though I'm driving, it's still here with me and I'm going to acknowledge that it's there. So if anybody asks me how I'm doing, I'm going to tell you I'm depressed right now, but I'll be okay. Okay. And it's one of those things where I don't let it be in the captain's seat or the driver's seat anymore, but I let it share the front seat so it can at least be there. And it's kind of almost like a puppy, you know, in the front seat with you where I'm just like, you're going to sit here with me. I'm going to drive us, but you can tell me all about what you're feeling. And that helps curb any sort of impulse to fucking drink out of negativity or anything like that. Sure. Um and so i think underlining underlining that for myself when i'm quiet is is the biggest thing like i said that i've that i've been able to take away from all that um, and again for me it works like i said and i and i've never excelled at just absolute black and white i could never do that where it's like i'm going to swear off 100% drinking for the rest of my life because that i'm such a contrarian sure. my my initial thing is going to be like yeah, but we could push that if you wanted to just a little <laughs> bit just to break it. And then I'm fucked. And I'm like, and I can't deal with that. So I have to allow myself a little bit of breathing room to go, you're human and it's okay. If you have a slip up and you have one drink, that's okay too. You're not going to kill yourself the next day, you know? Right. And so I think allowing myself to breathe on either side of that. That's also helped tremendously in, in kind of giving myself a bit of a break, you know, Well, it's hopefully cool. that makes sense. No, you
0: know? it, it absolutely makes sense. It's cool that you bring that up, because one thing that I've told people that have asked me questions about it is that, again, for me personally, but I also think it's kind of a universal understanding that when you do drink or when you do use a substance for a negative reason, it's because you don't want to feel the feeling that is occurring. And right so the flip side of that is kind of what you were talking about so when a negative feeling comes in whether it's depression or anger or sadness or you know whatever the case is you have to allow yourself to feel that feeling and understand and acknowledge that it exists because if you try to bury it it comes back yeah it comes back angry you know (laughs) like you know this is the, the grossest but also funniest thing that i've i think anybody has ever told me as far as like the analogy for it is like it's like if you fart in a car and then close the door and then you come back an hour <laughs> later and it's still there but it's, it's like way worse way worse yeah. it's just like oh, i should have just rolled the fucking window down and let you out <laughs> like right like, exactly <laughs> um but the thing is also with this again like so you put it in the passenger seat you acknowledge it you understand it you you let you know you let it have its space in in your head because it is there like you can't you can't just turn it off that's not how you know emotions work or mental illness works That's that's not how
1: pain works that's not how yeah exactly
0: no you can't do those so it's it is cool that you bring that up and also again the thing is with you know the drinking and stuff you're able to have a drink which is cool i tried that and then i woke up in a park So it was just like,
1: (laughs) maybe not the best idea. Yeah, I can't fucking do
0: that. So I just don't get to do that anymore, which is, you know, it's whatever. Um, But I do. The reason I bring these things up is because I definitely do think there is different coping mechanisms. There's different experiences. And that's kind of what I like to do with this is just show people that maybe your experience is similar to Mark's. Maybe it's similar to mine. Maybe it's similar to Kelly's from last week or whatever the case may be. There's different ways of coping, you know, coping with these things. But what things do you do to kind of quiet your mind? Like, what's your process of like when when that brain ghost comes in? Like, what, what are some things that you do to kind of get yourself to a quiet place?
1: Uh, honestly, like there's up until probably about a year ago, um, I would I would go play basketball for a long time and just kind of sit out there and just kind of reflect because that's what I did when I was a kid. Um, we, we had, we had like a hoop in our backyard, so I would just go out there for hours by myself. So I've always got a, have uh, always got a, a, a nice connection to that, but honestly, probably in the last like year and a half, I've really just spent a lot of time just running and just kind of the, the constant rhythm of just being out on the track and things like that, that, that helps quiet my mind as well. Um, and then there's sometimes, like I said, where I will just literally just tell my wife, I'm like, I'm. I'm not feeling it right now. I'm going to go upstairs and I'm just going to sit for a while. I may turn the TV on just to have background noise on, but I can still kind of focus without that. And um, I, I, I'm i really good about letting people know that I need an hour by myself where I'm just like I'm having a shit day and, and I don't need anybody talking to me right now. Um, there are other times where I just I li- literally will just get in the car and just drive around. And some people are like, "Oh, you should blast music and kind of." I'm like, "No, actually, I just want to be alone and just not fucked with." And you know, and I think that's kind of you. You you have to be very vocal and very protective of once you've once you've learned that about yourself that that's what you respond to and that's your process. Right. I'm I'm ridiculously protective of myself now at this point because I know what I respond to. And so the moment I have anybody try to infringe on that, I'm like, ah, uh-uh, you don't get to fuck with this. This is my quiet time. This is my alone time by myself. And unless it's a fucking medical emergency, right. you're going to leave me alone. Right. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really good about about telling people just to not mess with me for a while. So I think that's also something that's important to bring
0: up is when you're dealing with mental illness, when you're dealing with anything um you know mental health related whether it's depression or you know whatever the case may be um one thing that i think we have to grow into is being comfortable with asserting a boundary and yeah it it sounds like that's something that you've gotten a lot better at and gotten really good at as far as that goes like you know like if it's my it's my quiet time like this is this is my time to reflect like you know
1: (laughs) yeah well, and that was the thing is that like for the longest time, because my wife would would kind of kind of get mad at me for it as well, because I was pretty shitty about it for a long time where I didn't have boundaries. I would I would let people kind of take advantage of me and walk over me. Um, but one of the things that changed and, and this is uh, like we haven't really gotten into it, but but it is one of the drivers of where a lot of abuse and stuff like that came from. But I had an older brother um, I mean, technically, I still have an older brother, but I haven't talked to him in years. Sure. But he was probably the shittiest older brother to have. Um, and I've been more vocal about it now because I've realized how fucking shitty my childhood was. And it was one of those things where after I stopped drinking, I still wanted to have a relationship. I still wanted to be a brother. I still wanted to have that connection. Sure. And. I tried to reach out and, you know, we, we started to kind of reconnect, but as we started to reconnect, I realized almost immediately, I was like, you're pretty fucking stunted in your own way. And I don't want any part of this. And this is actually not helping my growth. And you're actually reminding me of what I left behind. And so as that relationship started to kind of melt and and dissipate on its own, there got to a point where i was i would tell my wife i'm like i feel like i should be a brother here i feel like i've i've got a responsibility and an obligation but there's a part of me that doesn't care anymore there's a part of me that doesn't want that anymore and so it got to the point where there was one night in particular where every conversation kind of went the same way. It was the same bullshit that you would hear every fucking conversation. And I'm like, yes, I've heard you bitch about this before. I've heard (laughs) you complain about that person before. I know. Get on with your life. Fucking move on. Right. And I, at at that point, that was one of the the more proud moments in my life because I actually stopped him. And I was like, I need you to stop. I do a really good job of protecting myself from negativity. So if you're going to continue this, I can't do this anymore. And I never heard it from him again. And so it was one of those things where I was like, Oh, I got it. So when I stand up for myself, my, my mental health is not important to you. But when I stand up for myself, you want nothing to do with that when I call your bullshit out. Right. But if I'm here to just listen to you, pile it on, then I'm, then I'm a great brother. And so it was one of those moments where I was like, you know what? I, I, I think I'm done, but it was standing up for myself uh, that, that made a huge difference. And because of that moment, I've been able to do it time and time again since then, where like if I feel the negativity from somebody, if I feel some bullshit coming into a room, I'm like, I need you to stop right now because I'm not gonna put up with this. And if you wanna treat me like crap, this conversation's over right now. And I'm I'm really good about doing that now at this point. So, but it took moments like that where it was just like. Yeah, I I don't deserve this because I'm actually worth more than that. And I actually love myself now. So, but you're still treating me like shit, but I'm going to go in the other room. So, well, yeah, it goes
0: back to self-worth and everything, you know, if it's,
1: uh, you know, especially with you, with what you
0: were talking about with the alcoholism, if you were drinking and it was kind of drowning those, you know, feelings from the past and stuff like that, and kind of also along with the self-hatred that came along with the eating disorder and things like that, when you come out of those things, like for me, it was the, you know, uh, substance abuse, but for you, it was also, you know, the substance abuse and the eating disorder stuff and the things that came along with it. When you come out of those things, a lot of times you do realize things from your past that are kind of like unresolved, you know, or yeah. uh, things that you might want to revisit or whatever the case may be. And there's also this kind of thing that I think people have an attachment to when it comes to family. Is that they think just because you share blood, you are, for whatever reason, <laughs> yeah. you have a responsibility to have a relationship with this person because they're a part of your quote unquote family. And that's such a generational, passed down type of thought process because it's bullshit. some, yeah, exactly. yeah, like sometimes just because you share blood doesn't mean that person's not a cunt. Like they right. totally can Thank be. God
1: said that. Yeah, exactly. You know, well, and it was it was so funny because, like I said, and it's funny you mentioned that because I that was literally how I grew up. It, it was you know my parents, my parents were the sweetest fucking people in the world, and I miss them to to death every fucking day. But they made mistakes. I mean, they definitely made mistakes. Like looking back, I'm like, yeah, you guys didn't realize that he was a fucking mental case, and you guys should have gotten him help. But either way. Right. But it's one of those things where as we were getting older, my parents would make it a point to go, you know what, when we're gone, you've only got each other and that's it. And it was like, okay, fine. And you feel an obligation to not let your parents down and to, to love your, your siblings. But it was one of those things where as I got older and and especially once I got past the drinking and I, and I, I got sober That was when I realized I was like, just because we're related, like you're saying, like, doesn't mean that I, I have to like you. You're actually not a good person and you don't want to grow. So why would I keep you in my life? Why would I, why would I seek that out? And the the more I stood up for myself against that, the more of a dick I became. And I was like, oh, great. So then I, I see exactly where I stand with you. And that was, that was all I needed to hear is that if I stood up for myself, I was a dick, you know, and, and that's what definitely what it felt like. So I was like, yeah, I think it's time to move on. And, you know, I, I'm definitely in a better place because I've got friends that actually give a shit that care, that love me. And that's what I want. You know, it's, it's not, and I've even, I've even got a tattoo that, you know, kind of echoes those, those same sentiments. It's, you know, it's, it's not our blood, but it's, it's our heart that makes us family, you know, and that's, that's what, that's, that's all it comes down to at the end. Yeah, absolutely. No.
0: And I'm, I'm glad we had that part of that conversation for sure, because I think it's something that um, I think sometimes people are afraid to um, realize that, you know, just because the blood relation is there does not necessarily mean that person is family. And also yeah. if, if what they're bringing to your life is negativity, it's okay to step back from that and be like, well, then we don't need to continue this relationship. And you don't even have to be shitty about it it literally is just a boundary of being like okay we're not bringing anything positive to each other's lives let's stop this here you know
1: right? exactly
0: as opposed to letting it build into this cancerous thing that just like you know explodes and becomes like something super negative down the road it's okay to put your foot down and be like all right this is this is not working which is fine like fist bump peace out i'm going this way you go that way won't see you later, like you know? Right.
1: Never see you again. Yeah. And, and that was part of it, too, is that like a lot of my self-image and my my self-hate, you realize like after I stopped drinking, a lot of it was generational. A lot of it came from my parents. A lot of it came from my or not my parents, but like my dad, his generation. And some of it came from my brother as well, where you're convinced every fucking day of your life that you're no good. You're, you're a piece of shit you're not talented um, that was never from my dad mind you that was that was my brother yeah but my dad dealt with those kinds of issues and you know and so you realize like some of those some of that baggage is external and it's from somebody else and it's not you but then you realize like no 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 but there's part of my, my childhood where I, I definitely suffered but now I want to stand up for myself and, and I'm not gonna let you treat me like shit so
0: yeah well I'm glad you I'm definitely glad you came to that realization. And um, something I wanted to bring up to you actually a little bit earlier when you were talking about your coping mechanisms and kind of what brings you to a place of peace. When you brought up the running thing, one of uh, the first guests on the show, uh, again, I already mentioned him, Mishka. He actually yeah. is an accomplished author as well. And one of his uh, one of his books is called The Long Run. And it's actually a collection of his short stories that were all put into one book. But one of his biggest things is he's essentially a marathon runner now like he runs yeah he runs like fucking crazy he he tries to make it a goal to run a certain amount of time every day and we kind of joked about it because he was like it just became my new obsession but also (laughs) you know but also it was a thing that also brought positivity to his life it brought better health to him it brought it kept kind of the shittiness at bay like it was something that he transferred that energy over to and he's been very successful with it and he's not the only one Like it's a lot of people, a lot of people that I know have turned specifically to running as a thing to kind of center themselves. So it's definitely not just a you thing. That's definitely something that is working for other people. So I'm I'm happy on that as well.
1: Yeah, Um, I think it's one of those things where it's just it's more of a rhythmic thing where it's just like you're out there literally by yourself, and if you want to advance, you got to do it. Like there's no, it's it's nothing simpler, you know. And it's it's a metaphor for what we do.
0: Right. There was the the other way I look at it, too, is running is one of those things that you also have to dedicate yourself to, because once you've ran a certain amount of time, like you don't have a fucking choice. You have to run back like you have to go back, you know. So it's like it is something that you have to actually put effort and dedication into. In order to actually do it and it's it's a good transference of energy and it's also a good thing to you know there's a lot of positives to it i'm even though i am fat as shit i absolutely advocate for running so, <laughs> right <laughs> you know um this has been great, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. I uh, Thanks for fucking having me, man. It's been a blast. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And everything you talked about today, it's it's another interesting aspect of it because I haven't had anybody on the show that's talked about eating disorders before. And it was something that I think was also important for people to hear because I know it happens. Uh, I know it's happening to a lot more people than we would realize because I think a lot more people are like you were, where they were, they were good at sneaking off to do it yeah as opposed to me where they're like do we need to call like an ambulance or like what's going on here (laughs) i think he's dying yeah Yeah. exactly was there blood in that i don't know what's happening (laughs) um so yeah i think it's i think it's good for people to hear and i'm glad you were cool with telling your story your story on it and i'm honestly like i said man i'm super happy that you've been able to recover from it and make that turn um so that you don't have to get that look from your wife ever again
1: <laughs> i i hope to god i never fucking get that look from my wife ever again i'm like i'm trying to stay in her good graces for the rest of my life man after getting that one look or it's just like it that. kills me either way it, it, either right. one can happen i don't know yeah if that
0: look ever happens again that might be what the finish is just like all right, right. You maybe it's do like it a second
1: like, time and that's it yeah
0: yeah that's all and you get. Lost
1: Mark, then he was done <laughs>
0: <laughs> well again this has been awesome uh so for anybody that's looking to follow you and see the whole process of Wolf Hollow and also your openness about, you know, what you go through, where can they find you online?
1: Uh, so uh, that's a funny story. Like I had to fucking reopen a brand new profile on fucking Facebook because I got I posted something the other day about trauma and Facebook deleted my entire account because I was promoting child sex abuse apparently. And oh I was like, God. I'm talking about what I fucking went through. Not anybody. Else. And they were like, nope, your your profile's deleted. So I'm like, fuck you, Mark Zuckerberg. Anyway, um, so I had to go and, and re-establish a profile. And uh so I'm under Mark Cantu on, on Facebook. Um on Instagram I'm under Mark Cantu98. And then for Wolf Hollow, if anybody wants to follow our movie progress uh that's wolf hollow official movie on instagram and on facebook and what about the indiegogo it's on there right uh indiegogo i believe is still no it's actually it would have been deleted from the other profile but if you go on indiegogo we're still in demand okay um, which means we bet our goal on on uh, indiegogo for wolf hollow And people can still buy perks. So if you want to look up Wolf Hollow on Indiegogo, it's still in demand. You can still buy shirts, buy DVDs. Everything else is still out there. So, yeah, you're more than welcome to to look us up.
0: Sweet. And obviously we'll link all this stuff in the description of the episode. So we'll make sure that you guys got clickable stuff to go there. Um, and uh, per usual with this, if anybody's going, anybody out there is going through some shit and the brain ghosts are acting up and you need or want to talk to somebody that's just going to let you bend their ear and not judge you, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'm on Instagram at Jonas Barnes comedy. I'm on Twitter at Jonas Barnes. I'm on Facebook. I have multiple profiles because I also uh, tickled the Forbidden Zuckerberg a couple of times, so I had to <laughs> <laughs> I had to uh, make some other profiles. The one that you will always find me at, though, is one with a profile picture of Willem Dafoe and Guy Fieri as one person because they do like to give people nightmares, so uh that That's will the one
1: I know. There you yeah go. yeah
0: yeah that'll always be the one um so you can also reach out to me there um i will always uh you know read it respond to it as soon as i can like i said i'm um, no judgment from my end so if you ever need to reach out and just vent out the vent out the shit i'm there for it and uh you guys check us out we've got some great episodes uh prior to this one as well just last week we had kelly carlin on the show um always talking about different stuff here on the show And Mark, you've been fantastic and open, and I thank you so much for doing the show.
1: Absolutely. My pleasure, man. It was was great being here.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you again. And to everybody else, thank you for tuning into the Traumedy Hour. We will be back here next week. Have a wonderful night.